Welcome to the Software People Stories. I'm Shiv. I'm Chitra. And I'm Gaiti. We bring you interesting untold stories of people associated with the creation or consumption of software-based solutions. You'll hear stories of what worked and sometimes what didn't. You will also hear very personal experiences and insights that would trigger your thoughts and inspire you to do even greater things. episode i am talking to joseph wong who is a general manager asia pack and japan for open legacy and a board member for absolute he shares a very interesting perspective of working in different geographies starting from canada australia and, and right now in hong kong and moving across different domains of work as well as roles Uh, being a software engineer to a pre-sales to customer uh, success as well as being an executive manager he shares how you got to always take the long term view and be challenged and enjoy the challenge and the change it's an amazing conversation listen on hi joseph welcome to software people stories hi gayatri thanks for having me so nice to hear from you and going to be a very exciting conversation before we get started would you like to uh, introduce yourself to our listeners sure maybe i'll give a 60 second elevator pitch of myself uh, a little bit about my life story i was actually born and raised in hong kong up until my high school years then uh, i moved to canada actually toronto canada with my uh, family uh, back in the mid 90s uh to continue my education and in university i actually did uh computer engineering so uh i'm a bit of a geek at heart uh and i like to look under the hood when it comes to technologies and things like that uh but then i spent about 10 years working in north america both canada and the us before moving out to um australia uh so another continent for me uh and i stayed in sydney for about 2 years before coming back to hong kong where i was uh, born uh about 10 years ago so full circle but it took quite some time for me to make that journey back to hong kong uh and ever since i've been working in uh, you know software uh you know and overseeing different uh, functions and domains uh but of course we can get into that if you guys are interested later awesome jyotha and uh, i also see a lot of marquee companies in your profile you've started in amazon as an intern you worked with medium uh, and you now are a part of open legacy as well as your board member for one of the large organization so um, what before all this started right what was really uh, the initial memory of software for you i guess you're asking why i i got into software in the first place right and to be very honest it was uh, the technology uh, the, my interest in technology even at a young age that got me started i still remember you know having my first computer in elementary school it was i think it was on dos at the time and uh you know i did some very simple programming in a summer uh when i was in elementary school and i fell in love with it to be very honest and and that's how it got me started and ever since uh you know i've been playing with the computers more on the uh technical side but eventually i moved more to consultation 
because I felt like I also, you know, besides technology, I also like talking to people, right? And that's why, you know, I, I, I moved eventually into consulting and also, uh, you know, sales, which is what I'm doing now. Very, very cool. In fact, when you're talking about your multiple avatars that you have, right on, do you want to share uh, your own functional roles that you have starting as a developer, starting in the technology side? And you you have worked in pre-sales, you've worked in sales. I also I also see you being the executive member uh, for the leader in in the being part of the leadership team. What all various hats have you worn? And can you share some stories as to what made you switch, right? Uh, in terms of because it's uh, change is hard for any person. What propelled you to do that? Sure. Well, I need to caveat uh, you know all these changes with the fact that. Uh, I'm actually a person that is easily bored. Okay, so I'd like to see new challenges and changes every now and then. But I think coming from computer engineering, when I was back in school, the first, I guess, logical step for me, you know, to take on the first job as an intern was to be a software developer. Uh, at the time, I was lucky because uh, I studied in Canada, but I got an internship in Amazon. Uh, as a software developer. And one fun fact back then was um, I actually got to meet with Jeff Bezos, you know, who was the richest, who's now the richest person, or maybe one of the richest top two, at least before he became the richest person in the world. Uh, but, you know, it, it was a very good experience. We actually had a meeting, I think a lunch meeting with him, um, just to learn a little bit about him, uh, because he at the time was trying to entice uh, the, the interns to uh, and good talent to stay at Amazon after graduation. But yes, I first started off as a software developer, just based on the nature of the program that I was taking in university. And I think I did pretty well, you know, in, in that part of the job. But again, I didn't really like sitting in front of the computer and, you know, typing away coding all day. So my first job after graduation was actually in consulting. It was still programming, it was still software development, but I was actually located at a client site and you know trying to problem solve for the customer at the time uh, so that kind of got me into i guess my first gig into consulting uh, immediately after graduation then uh, I, I found out that uh, i learned something about myself actually in the first job which is i didn't quite like working for huge organizations like the very big organizations even though you may see on my profile that i've worked with ibm HP and the likes, I found that I actually like the smaller organizations better. And that is because these smaller organizations are often more nimble um, and they can make decisions much more quickly. I feel like I can actually make impacts in these companies, you know, much more uh, regularly. Okay. And so, you know, after about a year and a half in my first job after graduation, I went to a startup company also in Canada at the time. And um, they were actually doing online sports betting, uh, which is a very diff uh, special niche. And uh, I went into the R&D team uh, as a product developer and then eventually a product manager um, and, and growing through the ranks there in, in my short stint there. I didn't realize that you're also in product manage uh, product management also. I only was thinking you were, uh, you were having functional domain understanding of pre-sale sales, but also from a product uh, management as well. Nice. Yeah. Uh, but the first real turning point of my career is actually in the next role, uh, which is uh, NetSuite. So they are a SaaS company. Uh, back in 2005, I believe I joined them when they were just starting up shop in Canada. Okay, so this is a U.S. company. At the time, they were not listed. They were, uh, you know, one of the early pioneers in SaaS, and they came to Canada. And so, you know, I was one of the team members helping them build uh, the team from uh, you know the ground up and I really enjoyed that experience 
Uh, so I told myself going forward, I really want to, you know, work with small startups that actually have ambition to grow in a particular region. And that's how I started my journey, you know, with uh, various companies afterwards uh, and also moved to different geographies because of the need from those companies. Nice. When you grew in NetSuit and, uh, and within NetSuit itself, I think you moved to Australia, right? Uh, because of the specific need. Um, yeah. Was it hard from a personally, um, I know you are from the Asia Pac region, but was it hard for you to do that shift and what kind of a cultural, um, I don't want to call it as a barrier, but it may sound very negative, but uh, what kind of a, you know, adaptiveness that you brought into yourself when you did that? Sure. Uh, so moving from Canada to Australia wasn't too bad because because of the, the way that these two countries are both westernized, right? Um, and, you know, similar to the U.S. in a way. So the cultural differences wasn't, you know, weren't too big for me. But at the time I was actually married and my wife had a, you know, uh, you know, decent job in, you know, at home and our families were all in Canada. So moving to Australia was a big family decision. Uh, let's put it that way. The, it, the, I think the saving grace was we didn't have kids at the time. So, you know, moving just two adults from, you know, one end of the road to the other wasn't too bad. I took, it took a lot of convincing to move my wife, uh, you know, with me, but uh, eventually she, uh, you know, went ahead and uh, we never really looked back afterwards. Uh, but, you know, taking the decision was actually a career advancement for me as well. Uh, because, you know, in Canada, we, we built a pretty good team and we needed to basically repeat the same feat in Australia for the ANZ market and eventually for the APAC market. And, and that's why, you know, I took the opportunity when management offered me the, uh, you know, the chance to relocate. And I've never been to Australia during that time. So uh, again, for a guy who likes changes and new challenges, that was sort of the, uh, you know, the easy acceptance, so to speak, for me to move from Canada to Australia. Very, very cool. In fact, the personal side is the hardest, Joseph. How much ever you want to call, right? While technology can be on pervasive, but people, when we have to move, convincing everybody around, particularly your support system, is not easy at all. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Uh, eventually, we made a lot of good friends in Australia, but at the beginning, it was it was hard. Uh, it was definitely hard. Uh, you know, but what? Both my wife and I are pretty social people. Uh, so, you know, eventually I think we had a pretty good time uh, in Australia. And, you know, whenever we look back at Australia, you know, on TV, magazines and whatnot, um, it, it was a very sweet time in, in you know, both our journeys. So we, we really enjoyed the time there. Um, so, Parma, I know culturally it is the same. Um, was it the similar for even when you were dealing with uh, different clients, when you are actually setting up your complete office in uh, Australia? How did you go about that? Yeah, so setting up shop was a bit of a challenge because when you are employee, let's say number two or three, uh, I was never employee number one, thank God. But, uh, you know, being employee number two or three is actually quite difficult in itself because you always have to find the right balance between, first of all, growing the business, but at the same time, making decisions about your own organizations, whether it's hiring, scaling the solution, scaling the product, scaling the team in the right way, right? So that fine balance in terms of having the top line growth and making decisions that uh, will help the company stay for good is actually, uh, I would say, quite, quite important and sometimes challenging for myself. To this day, I still find myself doing the same thing, even with Open Legacy, uh, which is a startup in itself here in Asia. Nice. Uh, any instances that you can share on the type of decisions that you have to make when you had to set up a new organization or sub-organization, if you will? 
If I think back to uh, my time in Australia, one of the uh, key business decisions at the time was uh, we have our own solution, but we were trying to get out of the SMB market uh, and focus more on the enterprise. So we we found a partner that was very gung-ho in working with us and basically told us that they can white label our solution. They will pay us uh, a handsome sum of money, but they will, you know, white label the they want us to white label the solution for them so they can actually go in to the SMB market, uh, you know, with their own brand. So we needed to make a decision on whether that was the, you know, the right way to, to go. And ultimately, I think um, we, we took a middle ground that where we did white label the solution, but we didn't take the full sum of money, so to speak, you know, at the beginning. And we said, you know, let's be partners in this. Let's work together. Whenever you make a sale, uh, we will take a cut from there. But of course, that, that was on hindsight. That was actually quite a good decision, to be very honest, because we were both very successful in the end in terms of sales in that uh, segment of the market. When you talk about decisions, right, one of the things that uh, I remember, whenever we make a decision, if we stop questioning our decisions, right, we will ensure that we make the decision the best decision. So all our actions follow through. Story relates to that. So you moved from Australia to Hong Kong. And yeah, from 2011, I think you've been in Hong Kong. I know you're working, your, your startup is in across different geographies, in, uh, Israel and Singapore and stuff. But how how is that kind of uh, move happened and why did you take that? Sure. Uh, so I moved from Australia to Hong Kong because uh, at the time when I took the Australian role, I basically had Hong Kong in mind the whole time. And I told my management team that I wanted to be Hong Kong ultimately. The reason why I wanted to be in Hong Kong is because, well, I was born and raised there and I always felt like I wanted to see what it's like to work in Hong Kong as well. So that was kind of a personal goal for me to eventually uh, get to. But, you know, we were very successful in Australia. So NetSuite didn't think it was the right time for me to move uh, back then. But when my wife was pregnant, so I actually needed to move to back to Hong Kong where we have the you know the biggest support system, right? So we have extended families and more friends there who can actually you know help us you know take care of uh, first of all business and then the family as well. So I decided to you know take on another role with another startup at the time called Ferrisent and became their director of uh, professional services uh, there. So it was a bit of a jump for me to be the director of that company. And so both from a career and a personal family life perspective, it was a bit of a no brainer for me to move from Australia back to Hong. I think this is something that uh, often people don't understand and different global experiences, right, gives a big jump, even though it may give a little bit of a discomfort when you start this. Because I've worked in UK, US, as well as, of course, India, now with Singapore market. It gives you a different perspective when you interact and you sort of know what we mean by that, right? Um, For example, some organizations are more when we say data should be time, right? everything has to be that way. Uh, if you work in some of the Indian companies, there is a slack built in. I think it, it gives you that perspective on uh, what are your values. Uh, when you were working in uh, Hong Kong right now with the middle tier firm, I also see a lot of change in, in terms of domain. I see you a lot of work in CRM space and in middle space, in gaming. How, how was it a conscious decision or when something better came in? What was the reason for us, such differences? That's a very good question, Gayatri. I think it's a bit of both, right? Both in the sense of 
uh, again, you know, I, I like to be challenged. So whenever the the role comes, the, the bigger role did come throughout my career and um, it usually meant a bit of a industry change as well. But I, I never saw that as a, as a holdback for me uh, because I find myself more of a generalist, okay, versus a specialist. And what I mean by that is, again, you know, I, I like to look under the hood. I, need, I like to look under, you know, to, to really understand the technology behind the scenes. But once I become a pseudo expert in, you know, that particular industry or particular field, then I'd like to explore or I like to look at what's next for me. So that actually prompted me to jump from industry to industry. You know, so I've actually worked with at NetSuite uh, ERP uh, industry to a incentive compensation industry and then to uh, talent management and now most recently to you know api integration so to speak uh, but every step of the way i made sure that i became at least a pseudo expert or some sort of expert in in the area uh, before I say, you know, I've conquered this realm. And so, you know, it's time for me to learn something else. So it's pretty evident in the fact that I've been giving a lot of speeches, do a lot of public speaking for the companies that I worked for to, to really represent them well and, and, you know, represent the space well as well. It is also not just about learnability, right? It is also about uh, ability to some of the innovations that are happening in one industry. Are you able to bring in and uh, cross-pollinate, if you will? Uh, in the other one, right? Uh, any uh, any aha moments when you do that shifting, uh, Joseph? In some industries, for example, banking, uh, multi uh, multi is a given thing. While the same thing, if you go to a different industry, have you had any such aha moments? Um, I think the aha moments come from the fact that hey. Um, I would say that there are aha moments, but they're not very obvious in the sense that maybe when I was working, let's say in ERP, my understanding of banking, my understanding of insurance, even manufacturing companies really helped prepare or pave the way for my current role, uh, which is really dealing with a lot of banks and insurance companies, right? But I, I wouldn't say it's a very clear aha moment, but you know, all the experiences that I have gathered over the past you know, 10, 15 years have really uh, helped me understand the, the world better and, and therefore be able to articulate and be able to try to solve the problems of uh, my counterparts, you know, from the customer organizations uh, more easily. Now, I'm not saying, you know, I can solve everybody's problems, but, um, you know, it does help me at least appreciate, uh, you know, the different industries that I uh, work in these days, which is a lot of banking and insurance companies. Very, very cool, Joseph. Um, I mean, I am amazed that uh, you are not only able to get into the environment, but also being able to excel in that uh, new areas. One of the things that I like when we originally met, right, you were able to forge relationships very easily and very quickly. And uh, I mean, I know software technology is all about zeros and ones and ensuring that uh, your code quality, coverage, all of that is great. But uh, in the end of the day, we are all people and we want that sort of a rapport and able to have that empathy. How is that consciously you've been developing or is it, uh, how do you build that? Yeah, that's a very good question. I don't think I do this purposely, but you know, being in sales right now, um, of course, needs you to be a likable person. Right. And I think a lot of my current rapport building comes from the fact that I do have empathy with, uh, you know, the, the customers. So I always go into, let's just say, you know, a meeting 
to see how I can help the customer. So I, I, I want to be a helper, uh, you know, for, for these customers, even if they don't end up being my customer in the end. I wanted to understand what their problems are and if there's a chance for us to help improve the situation or to resolve the situation, that, that would be, you know, my ultimate goal. So I always have that mindset. But this mindset also comes from the fact that I've also worked in services and customer success. I'm not a, you know, born salesman, to be very honest, but the fact that I've worked in, let's say, professional services uh, gave me an appreciation of the fact that, hey, you know, selling may be, you know, not so hard at the end of the day, but keeping the promise through professional services uh, that were made in sales is actually quite difficult. So having that services background helped to ensure that I don't overpromise uh, when it comes to selling anything. And I give the good, uh, the bad, and sometimes the ugly to the customer so that they can make a conscious decision themselves on whether you know we're the right solution for them or not. I think that not just giving the good and sometimes you know spelling out the bad as well will help build, build rapport, especially when you know, and I'm, I'm in the role that I'm in currently. Very, very well put. Uh, in fact, uh, my interactions in the past with the sales team is Sometimes they go and promise something even without even consulting. And when I started being an agile coach, that's one of the first things they say, okay, thank God we are doing agile because delivery team and the actual team just consuming it all together. So I think you are right in terms of presenting the facts as is, even though sometimes it's hard for the other person to hear. It's better that way than tough love. Absolutely. Yeah. I always take my relationships with the customers from a long-term view uh, rather than just a short-term view. Right. And, you know, I know that in my past uh, lives, in my career, I've seen sales folks sell the deal, throw the ball over the fence and, you know, just say good luck to the services people and, and walk away. Right. Uh, but that's not the approach that uh, I think would work uh, long-term for any company. So I take the long-term view and uh, ensure that we are actually partners with our customers eventually. I think uh, you can imagine uh, what I have gone through. I have a lot of stories to tell. Let me not give you all that some stories. Yeah, me, me too. But we can definitely <laughs> share share some stories over beer at some point. <laughs> definitely. How has culturally changed? Uh, how how have you changed? Or, um, or maybe uh, you have changed others. Uh, when when you moved from Canada to Australia to Hong Kong, has there been any subtle changes or? I know Hong Kong is fully global in terms of how uh, its development is happening. Yeah, I think there are definitely uh, cultural changes, more from East and West perspective. So I, I am pretty much Canadian. Um, so I've lived in Canada. The number of years I've spent in you know the Western world is almost equal to the number of years I've spent in the Eastern world. So I definitely see uh, uh, both sides of the equation. In Hong Kong, I've been lucky in taking on roles that are pretty much all APAC. So before the pandemic, I was traveling quite, I had a very busy travel schedule all over Asia. Um, and I've even been to India quite a few times uh, because in one of my previous roles, I led teams from India as well. So I do see the different cultural aspects within just even in Asia. I think uh, a lot of the countries themselves are different. In Southeast Asia, you know, you have Singapore, Malaysia, in a way they're, you know, a little bit similar as soon as you move out of you know these two countries you could go to thailand you go to vietnam indonesia they can be very different in the way that they operate and of course you know in hong kong and the mainland china that's that's another story korea and japan is also another story but you know i always go in uh, to these countries uh, with a humble mindset wanting to learn rather than trying to show them a few things under my belt 
and I think going in with a humble mindset, you know, wanting to learn and being respectful of these cultures often led me to good outcomes. Now, I did make some mistakes along the way, obviously, uh, when it comes to especially negotiation with different cultures. But at the end of the day, I think going in with that sort of mindset will help you achieve more than, than doing damage. Sometimes uh, it's better to not go into as a know-it-all. You say, okay, I'll probably progressively figure it out, right? You are also a board member for Absolute uh, Firm. Yeah. And uh, see, uh, working as an executive in your own firm is one thing, but also being an external consultant. How, how are you balancing those uh, aspects? Yeah, so uh, I, I'm on the board of that company because... Uh, my friend asked me, right? So it's his company and he started that company. And, uh, you know, it's actually an apps uh, building company, um, you know, that's based in Hong Kong. For me, the time spent is actually quite, I would say that the line drawn is actually quite clear. Uh, because right now with my current role, I'm building a team, I'm building a business for Open Legacy. But I often find the time um, to do things that I like. Okay, so, um, you know, I think the key thing here is to make sure you like what you do, because if you like what you do, you will always find time to, to, to do so. And, you know, giving back is a way of me looking at this, you know, board member position, because I feel like, you know, it's time for me to share some of my expertise from building companies, you know, for, for my friend, so that uh, he can take away some of the, uh, you know, some of my experience and hopefully it will help him in the long term. Uh, so, you know, helping a friend is something that I definitely like doing. So I will always find the time to do so. Very, very cool. In fact, being a board member is a very prestigious thing. Uh, so I think you're not just being, uh, you know, I think you may be staying modest that I'm doing <laughs> it for a friend, but I think that's a great thing. Uh, when I started from in college, one of the first things is you have to become a board member of a CXO. That is mm -hmm. always a... <laughs> uh, that's right. Definitely. I know we have been uh, speaking about your various roles and how you you know, move from when you look at five years horizon from now, how do you see the software landscape changing, particularly from our people? How are we going to change? I think five years is a good horizon because I can never predict beyond five years. Even, you know, when I try to predict, you know, for three years, I get it wrong sometimes. But one of the key trends that I see in the software world is uh, the emergence of AI. AI has actually uh, really come to the forefront of a lot of organizations. In the past, about 15 years ago, when I was working with NetSuite, they already tried to introduce AI, uh, artificial intelligence, into some of the solution. But I find AI being more prevalent, even about five years ago when I was working at Cornerstone, which is talent management. The example I can give you is we have a recruiting module in talent management. And the AI that was built into the solution was, hey, if you get a CV, the AI will actually tell you how likely this candidate if hired, is going to stay within your company <laughs> based on all the big data that, uh, you know, we, we've gathered, uh, you know, from other similar roles at different companies. Things are actually getting a lot, depending on the person. Sometimes some people will say scary, but, uh, you know, I think I would like to use the word exciting uh, with, with, with uh, AI uh, because in the past 10 years, it was probably descriptive, right? So what has happened? It will tell you, you know, on hindsight. Uh, then it became more predictive right? What's going to happen right tomorrow? Uh, and so it's going to rain. If it's the weather forecast, it's going to rain. We can tell you that ahead of time. But now it's become more pres uh, prescriptive, right? So, uh, you know, the AI will actually tell you, bring an umbrella tomorrow because it's going to rain. So it will give you the solution as well to the problem um, at the same time. And I think it's actually very exciting times. Uh, the, 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 this, the example I gave was just in talent management, but of course there are all kinds of other areas that AI can get applied to. You know, it will drive your car, 
It will do uh, a lot of the mundane things that, uh, you know, um, humans don't want to do. Uh, and eventually, I think we will get to a point where humans will have a lot more free time on their hands. You know, shorter work weeks, shorter hours in the week. And so we can do a lot more fun things, you know, things that really excite us outside of the work world um, to, 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 you know, uh, to really enjoy life. So that's how I see, you know, software morphing uh, or changing the world in the next uh, few years. Very cool. Uh, from descriptive to predictive to prescriptive. And also, I think what you said is how do we add value and, uh, and, and reduce the amount of time that we have to do from a repetitive task, right? Nobody likes uh, doing repetitive or uh, something which uh, is error prevented rather than uh, more error prone. Uh, very cool. Um, I, I, I didn't realize that the time had gone past so quickly, Joseph. Uh, any final thoughts that you want to share with our listeners, Joseph, that uh, any takeaways that you they can, uh, any advice? Sure. Uh, I wouldn't call it advice, but one of the things that you mentioned at the beginning was, uh, you know, I've changed quite a bit throughout my career, whether it's geographies or uh, jobs. Um, and I wanted to leave maybe the, the listeners with this piece of information. Uh, I think it's important for you to get out of your comfort zone. Uh, every time I made a change, yes, uh, you know, there was a bit of hesitation. Uh, there was a bit of scariness, uh, you know, to that kind of holds me back. But uh, I feel like, uh, you know, in life, if you don't get out of your comfort zone and, you know, take the changes and take the new challenges from time to time, you're not going to be growing. Um, and so uh, that is actually not a good thing. And if you're not growing, you're actually falling behind. So that's kind of my personal mantra. And I wanted to make sure that, uh, you know, I share this uh, bit of uh, life experience with uh, you all to let you know that uh, taking taking changes, taking new challenges sometimes is scary. But uh Every now and then, I had a mentor who actually told me, if you're not every day, if you're not doing something that scares the bejesus out of you, then uh, you're not really living. So I took that to heart. And, uh, you know, every now and then I'd like to, you know, take on new challenges and make sure that, uh, uh, you know, I enjoy life along the way. And so far, it's worked pretty well for me. Awesome, Joseph. <laughs> Take something that scares you and do it anyway. Thank you so much for your time, Joseph. I really appreciate uh, you candidly sharing uh, your uh, experience and I hope listeners love, love your multi-geography, multi-talented person you are. My pleasure. Thanks, Gayatri. We thank Siddharth for the music and Anita for promoting the Software People stories. If you like this episode, Please subscribe on your favorite podcast client and spread the word in your network. If you'd like to share your story, contact us at podcasts at pm-powerconsulting.com.